It is a great joy tonight to have Dr. Paul Chapel with us, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church in Lancaster, California, president of West Coast Baptist College. It was already a great blessing to us this morning. We thank the Lord for his ministry. It is a great encouragement in this day when evangelism is so uh, lacking in our churches to see a church such as this church really believing God and having a mighty impact on their community. And I appreciate Brother Chapel's leadership and passion for evangelism and discipleship, believing that God's people can reach this culture today and do it God's way. And we were already challenged by that this morning and it's been a joy having him here. So Dr. Chapel, we're delighted to have you here for this evening's service. God bless. Thank you, Dr. Van Gelderen. It's a joy to be here tonight, and I'm thankful to the Lord for this meeting and for the spirit of the meeting and what we've experienced already together, and I've looked forward to it, and my, my, the music has blessed my heart tonight and throughout the meeting already. What tremendous excellence to the glory of God. Thank you, every one of you, for the wonderful ministry. Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn, if you would, to the uh, Word of God, uh, Acts chapter 24 and verse number 1, Acts 24 and verse number 1. And I'd ask you to stand with me, if you would, please, as we stand in reverence to the Word of God, Acts 24 and verse 1. I'm glad that I could bring some warm weather to the conference. <laughs> Several have commented to me how warm it is this year unseasonably warm and I told my wife on the phone today I said honey it's so warm it got up to about 30 I think today and and I was uh, standing at the hotel looking out the window and snow was coming down I said it's so so warm there's snow coming down today and uh, snow uh, piled up in the driveway so uh, I, I would hate to see what cold is around here I'll tell you what but uh, there's been warm fellowship and that's the most important thing and you've uh, done so well these conferences sometimes they can uh, kind of wear you out just a little bit as you go through all the sessions but you're doing great and I thank the Lord for your attentiveness tonight I was thinking about a few years ago I was preaching in the middle of the state of California and one of our men has a small plane and he flew me up to the meeting and I asked my son Matt if he'd like to travel with us and fly in the little plane and so forth and and uh, Matt was uh, younger at that time and just kind of uh, in his school years and so uh, we had a wonderful meeting. It was a little warm in the meeting and at the end of the sermon I gave an invitation and folks were coming to the front making various decisions and, and uh, Matt came to the front. He didn't just come to the altar though, he came right up on the platform and you know as a dad I thought this is great. My son's making a decision tonight, praise the Lord and he came right up to me and I leaned down to him. I said, son, what's the decision God's put on your heart tonight? He looked up at me and he said, dad, this is taking a long time. When's it going to get over? <laughs> now, if that's your decision tonight, just keep that to yourself. All right. Uh, hopefully by the time we're done, you won't feel that way about it. Uh, but thank you again, pastor, for the invitation to be here. My heart has been so refreshed uh, by all the fellowship, the teaching, the preaching, of the Word of God. Thank you for the message last night and how we need to emphasize Christ in us, our hope and glory, our power, our sustenance, and what a great emphasis. Acts 24 tonight in verse number 1, I'd like you to follow with me as we read down through verse number 16. And after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that 
Very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow, a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who also hath gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. But the chief captain Lysias came upon us and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee, by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Our text tonight, Acts 24 and verse 16, I'd ask you to read it with me, ready, begin. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the infallible, inerrant, and preserved word of God. And Father, tonight as we open it, we ask that you would illuminate our hearts and minds and that you would motivate us by your spirit and through your word to be conformed to the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, Father, that you would help us to take this text in particular and to teach us how to serve you with a heart that pleases you and from a heart that rejoices in you. And, Father, that we would leave this place tonight having our hearts thoroughly right with you, even as the Apostle Paul testified so many years ago. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In our text this evening, we see the high priest Ananias along with an attorney of his day by the name of Tertullus as they accuse the man of God. They have brought him, according to the Scriptures, according to Acts 24, to a man named Felix who was the governor of Caesarea. And it was there that they were accusing God's man of being a pestilent fellow. And I might say tonight that if you are any kind of a man of God at all, from time to time there will be those who feel that you're somewhat of a pestilent fellow. And that in fact in America, as we turn more and more away from God, and as we see in this nation that which is good called evil and that which is evil called good, that you might expect from time to time to hear of men and women of God simply doing what the Word of God commands us to do 
being referred to as the troublemakers in society. It's the fundamentalists that cause all the trouble, they say. It's those people that just take the Bible so literally that cause the problems, they say. And that is the exact spirit with which the Apostle Paul was faced as he stood before the governor. If you have ever been to Caesarea, you understand that it was a, a very beautiful and a very prestigious place indeed. And I can picture in my mind's eye the Apostle Paul as he was there under that Roman authority standing in the midst of such grandeur and beautiful architecture. Perhaps he could have been intimidated to say something that would accommodate those in authority. Perhaps he could have somehow found a more diplomatic way to work his way through this particular situation. But instead of accommodating the moment and instead of seeking somehow to please the men that were in authority, he stood and declared his convictions concerning the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And furthermore, he said to the authorities that day in verse number 16, a phrase that has captured my heart and convicted my heart on many occasions. He stood there before the governor, before the religious leaders of the day, and he said, And herein do I exercise myself, to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. It is my conviction tonight that every Christian leader should live his life with just such a godly exercise. That we would live our lives in such a way that we might have a conscience, a heart, that is void of offense toward God and toward men. I want you to notice in the scriptures with me tonight, as the Apostle Paul testified, three principles that I believe can change every man's life tonight that God could use to bring revival into our hearts and that indeed would change the way we live and manifest Christ toward a lost and dying world. Notice tonight in the Word of God the definition of the word conscience. The Apostle Paul says, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense. The conscience may be defined as that window that lets the light into the heart of a man. The light is a revealer of the manner and motives of a man. And God uses the conscience. He touches the conscience with His Spirit in order to move us into that which is right and in order to convict us of that which is wrong. The conscience then is a tool of the Holy Spirit to lead us into the ways of God. And Paul often mentioned the importance of having a clear or good conscience. I am convinced tonight that every honest Christian in this room would say, I want to leave this place tonight with my heart right with God. And God uses the conscience to reveal His Word into the heart and to show us those areas which need correction and adjustment along the way. Now in the Word of God, there are several different types of consciences. And just by way of laying some foundation tonight, I want you to think about them. If you'd like to see them in the Scriptures, you're welcome to turn as well. We read tonight, first and foremost, of the good conscience. And the Bible speaks of the good conscience in many different areas. In Acts 23 and verse 1, the Bible says, And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience with some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Let me say tonight there is no softer pillow than a clear conscience. 
There's no better way to live than to live knowing that there's nothing between my soul and my Savior. And I am convinced personally that being right with God and having a pure conscience is something that is only developed by the grace of God and by the inner working of the Holy Spirit of God. And we must understand tonight that this heart, uh, this conscience of which I preach is not the result of a particular creed or list, but it is the result of the inner working of the Holy Spirit of God in the heart of an individual Christian. The Bible says in Titus 2, in verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now the grace of God is the inner working of the Holy Spirit. And my friend, when God's Spirit works in your heart, that is the grace of God. That is the privilege of the believer to feel the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And woe be to the man or woman that calls uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit a guilt trip. It is not to be deemed as an unnecessary guilt trip from a preacher. When you can feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it should be deemed as a gift from God. And it is God at work in the heart of a man bringing about conviction for his purposes. And, And it's interesting to me because sometimes... Pastor, we see this more evidently even in a brand new Christian's life. It's interesting how sometimes the longer we're saved, uh, the more prone we are to not feel the inner working of the Holy Spirit and to resist the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I believe it's a joy to see that in anyone's life, but sometimes you see it more clearly in a new Christian. Uh, I had a young man just the other day that had been saved at our church, maybe just a, uh, uh, just a few weeks back, and he came up to me and, and uh, he said to me on the way out of church, he said, by the way, pastor, he said, I want you to know I've stopped smoking. And I said, that's wonderful. And he said, and by the way, I've quit a whole lot of other stuff too. And how many of you believe that's just normal New Testament Christianity? The Holy Spirit had saved him and was doing a great work in his life. I remember some years ago we had a special day at our church and we had uh, many, many hundreds of visitors and I took a stack of cards and I began to go out to the homes and make some follow-up visits and I took my daughter with me on this particular visit. We went into the house and and as I uh, talked to the uh, man at the door, he invited us in and as we went in, I spoke to him and his wife about the Lord and and uh, I, uh, I noticed as we were talking that there was a lot of uh, worldly paraphernalia. He had uh, rock and roll uh, concert tickets framed on his wall. He's kind of proud of that and had uh, long hair and an earring and all the trappings of an unsaved man. And, and I asked him at one point, I said, John, let me ask you this question. If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd spend eternity in heaven? And he said, well, Pastor Chapel, you asked that question last week at church. And he said, I, uh, I uh, really honestly don't know the answer to that question. I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Well, his wife had been saved previously, and after 30 or 40 minutes, John prayed and accepted Christ as his Savior. And I tell you, it was a tremendous blessing. And he, he came back to church that uh, next morning and heard the preaching of the Word of God, and, and uh, the Lord was dealing with his heart. That uh, Sunday night, he came back, and, and uh, by the grace of God, he uh, heard the, the preaching and our admonishment about baptism. He was baptized, and, and God was beginning to do a great work in his life, and And I remember saying to him after church, I said, John, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, "Uh, would you have time tomorrow night to go with me? I'm going to be preaching down in the L.A. area. I'd like you just to come and and spend some time with me. And you need to uh, learn the songs of our faith and be around Christian people. And, And he said, you want me to go with you? 
And I said, sure. I said, I'll come by and pick you up about five o'clock. He said, all right. And so I pulled up in front of his house at about five o'clock. I knocked on the door. And when I knocked on the door, out of that door walked a strange man that I could not recognize. Now I had on a sport coat and a pair of slacks, but this fella had a three-piece suit. He had a hole in his ear where there used to be an earring. Uh, he had a haircut that would pass uh, Baptist School of Ministry. Is that the name of the college, Pastor? I I'm telling you, he got into my car and he looked at me. He said, hey, Pastor. He said, I got a new Bible today. It's the King George Version. Did I get the right one? <laughs> You say, well, Brother Chapel, uh, what discipleship program did you take him through? And, and, and how many verses did you teach him to bring him to that point? Very simply stated, he had been born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And God's Spirit was doing a work in his heart. And his conscience, for the first time in his life, was right before God. I'm just saying, it's exciting sometimes if you want to be a bless, uh, get a blessing, look at a new Christian and they'll many times convict you for their spiritual growth. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 12, for our rejoicing is this, this, the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. And so the scriptures speak of the good conscience, the heart that is right with God. But then perhaps you've read also of the defiled conscience, the defiled conscience. The defiled conscience, according to Titus 1 and verse 15, says, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Now, the defiled conscience uh, is a conscience that has just been allowing sin somewhat in a defiling manner, in a defiling presence into the life. Not, not a, a lot of television that's wicked, but some. And not spending hours on the internet wasting time and looking at things they should not look at, but some time on the internet just cruising around and noticing what they might notice. And the man with a defiled conscience is a man whose heart is no longer receiving the light as clearly and readily as it once did. And certainly there are many such Christians in our churches tonight. And may I say that the defiled conscience is not a safe guide at all. The scriptures speak of the good conscience. And the scriptures speak of the defiled conscience. And then the scriptures speak of the evil conscience. And in the scriptures we read about this conscience in Hebrews 10, 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful who has promised. Now, the evil conscience, I believe, is the conscience that comes into the life of the Christian that has been giving themselves to sin. They have been quenching the Spirit. They have been grieving the Spirit. They once uh, had a good conscience, but then uh, the defiling began, and now they're living with an evil conscience. And I I believe you'll see examples of this in the Scriptures. I, I think, for example, of Lot. At first, he simply pitched his tent towards Sodom. But we read on through the story, and we see him condoning the lifestyle of Sodom and endorsing the lifestyle of Sodom because the conscience was now to a state of what the Bible referred to as evil because he neglected the teaching and preaching and the truths of the Word of God. And by the way, when God's Spirit is working on your heart, 
Don't be so proud that you would not bow the knee and the heart and make things right with God before you get to the place of the evil conscience. But there's one other conscience I read about, and it scares me, frankly, the most. And theologically, you can discuss it with me later if you like. I believe it speaks of a saved man, but this man has moved to such a point in his life spiritually, he has so allowed his conscience to become defiled and to the point of becoming evil that he even comes to what the Bible refers to as a seared conscience. And if you'd like to see about it, look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, holding your place in Acts chapter 24. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Let me pause there. How many of you believe the Bible is the infallible Word of God? Every word breathed by the Holy Spirit of God. This is the very Word of God. But we read in this passage, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. It is as though God is saying, here's some double emphasis for you. I want your attention. Now the Spirit is speaking expressly that in the latter times, and I believe we're there, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now this person's conscience is so limited in its ability to feel the conviction of God, that this person will even accept and propagate false doctrine. And we have seen those who have, at times, perhaps because of bitterness, perhaps because of sin, perhaps because of sin unbeknownst to anyone other than themselves and the Lord, we have seen those who have even left so-called good churches and have left and have gone to false churches saying that they really never went along with what they were taught in the first place. Whether they were saved or not, only God knows, but I believe there are some who were saved and their, their conscience through sin became so seared that they literally walked away from the truth. Now imagine the Apostle Paul being accused of being a ringleader of all of the trouble of that day, being accused of being a pestilent fellow and being able to stand before his accusers and say, my conscience is clear, my heart is right before God. And I'm going to tell you, my friends, that if you intend to stand for the Lord, there will come times when you will face such situations. And what a great testimony to be able to say, my heart is right before God and before men, and to live in a state of perpetual revival, knowing that you are right with God and writing with men. And as I see this good conscience defined, Paul was the living embodiment of such a conscience. And I would say to every one of us tonight, there is a goal for all of us and a pattern for all of us to follow, to live in that way. But I want you to see tonight, not only the definition of the conscience, I want you to see tonight the development of that conscience. Because I believe everybody here would say, well, I want to live with that conscience. I, I want to live in that way. I, I want my heart to be continually right with God, as was the Apostle Paul's. And if that's the case, I want you to come back to our text and notice in chapter 24 and verse 16 again, he says, and here do, herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Now notice that phrase, Herein do I exercise myself. Now, some of you are going to say, Brother Chapel, if you start preaching about the word exercising, you're going to stop preaching and start meddling. But just stay with me for just a moment, all right? Because I want you to see that the development of this conscience, while we preach and believe that 
The Christian life is all of Christ. It's all of the Holy Spirit. I, I want you to take note specifically of what Paul says when he says, herein do I exercise myself. And I want you to take note, first of all, of the fact that exercise requires a goal. It always does. Exercise requires a goal. Now, someone's goal might be to lower their cholesterol. Someone else's goal might be to lose some pounds. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. The songwriter said, Take time to be holy. Time rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. And I believe he was speaking about the necessity of this walk with God of exercising ourselves unto godliness so that we might have that heart that is right with Him. And may I say tonight that when it comes to this matter of exercising, spiritual exercise and spiritual discipline, we must always bear in mind that Jesus Christ is the goal. You see, as one would exercise uh, to lose weight physically or to lower cholesterol or whatever the goal might be, our goal in the spiritual disciplines is always Christ-likeness. The scriptures say in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound yet more and more. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So the goal in the Christian life is to please Christ. It is to walk after Christ. And I trust tonight that's your heart as well. And I trust you recognize that holy living and godly living is pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ and that in His Word He gives us principles to live by and that by grace those principles may be followed day by day. And so exercise requires a goal. Jesus is the goal. But let me say secondly, exercise also requires discipline. Disciplining ourselves unto godliness. Now think again of what Paul said. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And so as we begin to see this exercise unto godliness, I believe we begin to recognize what could be called a divine human synergy. Because we see in the scriptures such commandments such as this, uh, it is God that worketh in you both to will to do, to will and to do his good pleasure. It is all of God working in us. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And we begin to sense it's Christ. And it's Christ working in us. And it's the Spirit of God working through us. But then we read, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we read, herein do I exercise myself. And we recognize that the Holy Spirit indeed wants to work through us and that we have all power available to us, but that we must avail ourselves to that power and we must yield ourselves to that power and we must seek that power and seek that presence in our life or we may never know what it means to be used of God, to have God work through us. And so we must have that godly discipline called prayer and that godly discipline in the Word 
and that godly discipline of dying to self. And the Apostle Paul was willing to sacrifice things that were evil, things that were not necessarily evil, just the weights at times, in order to be more greatly used of God. And he said in Hebrews 12 and verse 1 that he would lay these things aside and that he would look only unto Jesus Christ. And in our lives, as we die to self, we then are now uh, in the position of being filled with the Spirit of God. Be not drunk with wine, we're in a success, but be filled with the Spirit of God. And oh, tonight, may I say that every single one of us need to come to the Word tonight and hear the testimony of the Apostle Paul as he speaks of this good conscience and say to the Lord, Lord, I want you to to develop that good conscience within my life. And and then, Lord, uh, as I understand what you want, the good conscience, then help me to exercise to that godly uh, life and help me, Lord, to come to that place where I might know your fullness in my life. And so the definition of the conscience causes us to realize that we want a good conscience and then the development of that conscience involves the divine human synergy of a life that is totally surrendered to God and seeking the presence and the power of God day by day. But then I want you to notice really the application of this text tonight and really the heart of the message. And I want you to see the display of a right conscience. The display of a right conscience. And come back to the text, verse 16, and notice that it says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. To have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Now the display of this right conscience is something that Paul speaks to in two specific categories. And I want you to see those categories. First of all, he says, toward God. He said, I want to have a right conscience toward God. I love Matthew 5 and verse 8, don't you? Blessed are the pure in heart, for what? They shall see God. And we see that Paul said, I want my conscience to be right toward God. And by the way, this is where separation always begins. It always begins toward God. Paul, an apostle, separated unto God. And he said, I want my heart to be right with God. Now, in James chapter 4 and verse 8, the scriptures say, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts, and that we are to put away double-mindedness, and that we are to draw to the Lord. And I believe tonight we need to recognize that as we draw nigh to Him, and as we are right with God, that every relationship will generate laws consistent to the one to whom we are relating. For example, uh, my wife Terry, I Thank the Lord for her, and for 31 years we've labored together, and tonight, sometime in the next few hours, I'll call her, and, and I'll tell her how much I love her, and we'll talk about the day, and then uh, we'll have a word of prayer together. And someone might say, wow, she must have a ring through his nose, or she must have something over him, and I mean that the fact that he has to do that, no, 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 the fact is that uh, our relationship is special, and it has generated some laws uh, unique to our relationship. And there would be those in Christendom who would look at a meeting like this and at people like us and they would say, why, look at those people on, uh, going to church on a Tuesday night and having early prayer and why, look at how they dress and listen to the way they sing and, and watch uh, the way they conduct their lives and why uh, they're missing the joy of uh, the, the liberation of grace and they're under some type of bondage and isn't it sad the way that they live and what we would say is no. In fact, the love of Christ constrains us and that there are some laws consistent to the one to whom we are relating and that we want to have a right relationship with God. And this is exactly what the scriptures speak about concerning the heart 
then manifesting itself in a right relationship toward the Lord. 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And Paul said, Listen, you can say what you want to say, but my heart is right first and foremost toward God. And what a tremendous blessing. And we do not have a good conscience if it is not first right toward God. But then notice the rest of the verse, if you would, verse 16. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. And so the right conscience then manifests itself first in a heart that is right toward God and secondly in a heart that is right toward men. And, and I believe tonight that if we're going to have a heart that's right toward men, that will manifest in two very specific ways. First of all, it manifests itself in the area of sanctification. And I want you to turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 2. And I want you to hold your spot in Acts 24, but follow with me 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. Here the apostle speaks in verse 2 and says, But having renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, make note of that, by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now here we see that the Apostle Paul said, I want my heart to be right toward God, uh, but I want my life to be also right toward men. Now sometimes I've heard people say things like this, well, I just don't care what men think. Did you know that's a bad attitude and that is not scriptural living either? And that we should care that our testimony is right before men. And Paul said, I want to have the right testimony toward men. I want to live in such a way that my life is clear before men concerning my love for Jesus Christ. A few years ago, we had our youth group over in the Philippines, and they were there with some of our staff, and they had done some puppet shows and singing and preaching and so forth, and they came into a uh, hotel lobby towards the end of their trip. They were getting ready to go back to Los Angeles. And as they were there in the lobby, they uh, had a testimony that I believe was pleasing to the Lord and distinct of their walk with God. And the manager of the hotel came up uh, to uh, Dr. Rasmussen and said, excuse me, he said, uh, I, I've been watching these young people and I'd like to know, are they Christians? And Dr. Rasmussen said, yes, they are. They're Christian young people. And, and he said, could you tell me the difference between Christian and Catholic? Now, that's like waving a red flag in front of a soul winner, that type of a question. And after just a little while, Dr. Rasmussen was able to lead that man to Christ. The fact of the matter is, however, that I believe that question that was asked in a good connotation concerning the distinctiveness of their life, unfortunately with most youth groups traveling on mission trips, would have never been asked in the first place. And that the opportunity to witness may have never availed itself because the conscience was not right in that instance toward man. Their testimony would not have been revealed. And, and I know there are some who will say, well, I don't have to live that way, and I'm under such and so liberty. But I remind you, the Scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, but take heed, lest by any means that liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them which are weak. For if any man see thee which hath knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not 
the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols. And through thy knowledge shall thy weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and would their weak uh, flesh uh, and weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. And in this day, when so many speak of the liberation of grace, what they are really speaking about uh, is the abuse of God's grace and they are coming to a place where there is no distinct testimony and no conscience that is right before men in this world today. I had a man come up to me uh, and uh, some a couple years back at our church he'd attended for about two years and we had talked to him about baptism and for some reason he had been saved but would not be baptized and finally uh, he was baptized at our services and and uh, he came up and said, you probably want to know why I took so long before I got baptized. And I said, well, now that you mentioned it, I was kind of wondering why you didn't get baptized sooner. He said, well, he said, we'd had a bad experience at another church, and we just kind of wanted to watch you and, and uh, your family and this church for a while. And, and I thought, well, all right, I understand the, the scenario. He said, in fact, he said, I'm your mailman. And he said, uh, in fact, he said, I have looked at every single piece of mail that I've put in your mailbox the last two years. He said, in fact, my wife and I have watched your wife and kind of walked as she's gone around the grocery store. We've kind of walked and watched her and seen what she's put in the cart. And then he said, in fact, my wife's followed your wife many times all the way around Walmart. When he said that, my first thought was, that's sick. (laughs) And my second thought was, that's a full-time job. But whatever, you know. It's what... But I did think to myself, thank God that in two years, nothing he saw would have hindered him from obeying Christ. I don't want to force the liberty issue to the point of causing someone to not take that next step for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said, herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God, yes, but toward men. And we do not have that conscience if we are not growing in sanctification and yielding ourselves to the inner working of the Holy Spirit. But I must say tonight that we'll not have that right conscience toward this lost world unless we also have a life that is given over to soul winning. My friend, how can we say with the Apostle Paul, that my conscience is cleared toward men if we are not telling lost men on their way to a Christless hell how they might be saved. How can our conscience be right toward them? Now I know what some people say. Okay, here we go again. Separation and soul winning. Separation and soul winning. Separation and soul winning. Welcome to my country. (laughs) I hear that from young preachers. That's... That's all you guys are about, separation and soul winning. But I'm going to say it again. You cannot be right with God and with your fellow man if you are not living a separated life. And if you are not living a soul winning life, you cannot have a right conscience towards men. We said it this morning. There is only one alternative to soul winning and that is disobedience. As the Father hath sent me, so send I you. Go ye therefore and teach 
all nations. And Paul wanted to speak the truth so that every man he came into contact with could hear the gospel and at least have the opportunity. And we have a goal in our city as we have knocked on 450,000 doors every year for the last 15 years that no one would ever move into our town for even a six-month period without at least getting an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So think about this and go back to 2 Corinthians 4 for just a moment. For the, the apostle says, I have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but now watch this, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's what? Conscience in the sight of God. So the implication of that text is that the right course of preaching combined with the right manner of living will be used of God to affirm in the conscience of a lost man or woman that they need Jesus Christ. How important to sanctification? How important to soul winning? They must go hand in hand. They are a powerful tool in God's hand to bring a lost and dying world to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so it is that God calls us to pillow our heads tonight with a clear conscience. But you say you can't do that, Brother Chapel, if there's sin in your life, and you're right. But you cannot do it if you're not actively seeking to win the lost to Jesus Christ either. And herein lies perhaps one of the great balances that we find not only in Scripture, but as is represented in this meeting tonight. We find it in fundamentalism. We find that if we'll listen from corner to corner, the balance is there. If we'll just apply our hearts to the wisdom of the Word of God and do what we know God wants us to do. I'm thinking of a family tonight. I first met them through the grandmother. Her name was Juanita. Juanita came to me after a service on a Sunday morning, and she said, Pastor Chapel, my name's Juanita Bishop. I've been visiting your church a few weeks. She said, I, I've noticed your people as they come to the door. They're so polite and clean-cut and kind. And She said, I've been attending for 35 years a Southern Baptist church. She said, I helped build the church. I paid for a lot of the programs. I, I love my church, she said, but there's just been so much change. She said, we no longer sing the hymns. It's just uh, uh, this rock and roll style music. She said, I no longer really can bring my unsaved friends because they uh, don't even give an altar call. There's no evangelistic thrust. And, and she, in essence, said, I, I don't want to leave my church, but my church really has left me. And she said, I was wondering if you would let someone with a background like mine come and join this church. And I said, Juanita, if the Lord's leading you to come here for the right reasons, and she'd been saved and baptized as a young girl elsewhere, I said, we would be more than happy to receive you into our church. And she was so excited to be a member. And she was so excited to be a part of soul winning. She was up into her 70s. But she'd come out soul winning and she'd tell our soul winning director, Brother Furso, she'd say, now I'm retired, Brother Furso, I want you to give me a couple of those maps. I've got extra time. I want to go out and, and uh, redeem the time. And she just loved telling people about Jesus. And, and she said, Pastor, would you pray for my family? I want my family to get saved. And I said, all right, I'll pray with you, Juanita. And 
Sure enough, one day her grandson Jeff came and, and, uh, and I got to talking to him after church and, and he and his uh, fiance came to see me for premarital counseling and, and counseling lesson number one was on how to get saved. And uh, Jeff and Mary Lee accepted Christ as Savior and they were so happy and they started coming Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They were just on fire. About six months into that, my secretary called up and she said, uh, Pastor, there's someone here to see you by the name of Linda Bishop. Now Linda was Jeff and Mary Lee's a mother, and uh, uh, she was the daughter-in-law to Juanita, and so I thought, praise the Lord, here's another one of the Bishop family coming to get saved, and I said, uh, Mrs. First, I'll bring her on in, let's talk to her about the Lord, and, and uh, she came in to my office, she owns a business in our town, she was the president of the Rotary Club, she walked into my office, and she came right to my desk, and she said, what kind of a cult are you running here anyways? I'd never had it asked just that way exactly before. I said, a Baptist one? <laughs> she said, my son Jeff came to this church and he got saved. Now he's coming here Sunday morning and Sunday night and, and Wednesday night and he's even going out soul hunting. I said, well... Juanita, if my kids were getting involved in something dangerous, I'd check it out. She said, I'm going to. And her and her husband, Rick, they came that next Sunday morning, sat right over here to my left, and I preached the cross of Christ. And uh, before I could give the altar call, that man was weeping and running to the altar. That woman right behind him. And they accepted Christ as their Savior. I was preaching somewhere on the East Coast and I got to the airport. Called the uh, church office. They said, Pastor, Juanita's really doing poorly with her health. She was battling cancer at this time. They said, you probably ought to go by and see the bishops, Rick and Linda are there and Jeff and Mary Lee. And I said, all right, I'll, I'll go right to the house from the airport. I went by the house, and when I walked in, they said, Pastor, we think she's probably in a coma or something. She's just been laying still for about, a, about 24 hours now. And I said, all right. And I usually go in, and I feel like you never know who can hear what. And I just usually speak to someone and try to share the gospel or talk to them about the Lord if they're already saved. And So I walked in. I said, Juanita, it's Pastor Chapel. I just want you to know I'm here and praying for you. We sure thank God for your testimony. And I'm going to have a word of prayer with you. She was just laying like this. I said a few other things. All of a sudden she went, Pastor, this is my nurse, Grace. She is not saved. Will you tell her how to get saved? She went back like this. <laughs> you say, well, it's probably the medicine. No. I, I've been at the bedside of the dying unsaved, and I've been at the bedside of the dying saved. And I'll tell you the difference was the Holy Spirit of God. There was something about that woman's life, something about the work of God in her life that one by one by one by one family members came to Christ. She went to heaven with a good conscience. Toward God, oh yes, but toward men, absolutely. And I say to you tonight that we should stand in this place tonight with hearts desiring a good conscience before God. I say to you that that Conscience is not developed unless we literally exercise ourselves unto godliness 
and avail ourselves to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But that conscience will never be known until a lost and dying world hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15 states, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh a reason of the hope that is within you in meekness and in fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. And my friend, you'll never be able to stop what some may say. You'll never be able to understand it uh, half of the time. But may I simply say to you that if you have a good conscience toward God and if you are faithfully witnessing toward the Lord Jesus Christ, that whereas they speak evil of you as an evildoer, They will one day be ashamed that they have falsely accused your good conversation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you can go home tonight and put your head on a pillow and say, God, as far as I know, my heart is right with you and my thoughts are with you and my conscience is good tonight. And God, every time you led me today to show someone about Jesus Christ, I was obedient. I'm going to tell you tonight, it doesn't matter what they're saying, how pestilent they accuse you of being, how wrong they accuse you of being, if you know in your heart that you have done right before God. God, and you have shared the gospel in your community, you can go to sleep at night knowing that you're right with Him. There's no other way to live. May God give us leaders who would recognize the power of a right testimony with a right soul-winning witness combined together for the glory of God. How important is it? Sometime you ought to go back to Acts chapter 8 and 9. You'll read there the story of the first Christian martyr by the name of Stephen. You'll find that Stephen, as he was now in the terrible predicament of having stones thrown against his body, and no doubt as he was laying there on the ground in Jerusalem and the stones crushing against his ribs and his torso and his head, and perhaps as the blood was now pouring out against uh, the concrete below him, the Bible tells us that Stephen looked up into the heavens, and Stephen, that spirit-filled Stephen, cried out, God, don't lay this to their charge. And the Bible says there was someone there consenting and watching and listening to what they had been saying and watching the way that they had been living. And as the Apostle Paul then Saul got on his way up to Damascus. You know the story. As the light shone down from heaven and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And we ask, well, what were the pricks? And someone says it was like the stick that you would prod along an animal with. And and yet this was no human stick. Uh, This was no fleshly prick. My friend, what was happening in his life was the Holy Spirit of God was working on his conscience that day day. He had heard the message of Christ. He had seen the life of Christ in that man, Stephen, and he couldn't hardly stand it. It was hard for him to kick against the pricks. And I say to you tonight that that man, Saul, became the Apostle Paul, and he was gloriously saved on the road to Damascus because of the right living and the right message of the church at Jerusalem. And I don't care who it is, whether the governor or the president or your next door neighbor, if we'll combine right living uh, with the gospel message, there are Mighty men and women tonight that will be saved by the power of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it is only fitting that a conference like this would emphasize holiness. It is only fitting 
that they would speak of the hypocrisy of emphasizing holiness to the exclusion of soul winning. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Holiness is vital because it negates the message if we are not living according to the word of God. But no one's going to get saved because of the way you live alone. They must hear the message of Jesus Christ. Tonight, it's easy to come to a place like this, feeling like everything's just fine, comparing ourselves with ourselves. We're not wise. Tonight, I ask you, not only how your living is, though the Holy Spirit can point those things out, but I'm asking you, how's your witness? I'm asking you, when was the last time you personally took the Word of God and personally led someone to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Why do the pastors have to beg people to come and do what Jesus commanded? So I'm just not about numbers. My friend, I have no excitement in pleasing men or raising up numbers for a human reasoning, but I'm going to tell you something. If you can't get excited about more people getting saved, there's something wrong with your life. Every person here ought to desire more souls being saved in this new year than in the past year. Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God, absolutely, and toward men, absolutely. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you tonight for speaking to our hearts. And I pray, Spirit of the living God, tonight that you would help us to see the necessity of the right heart along with the right witness. Lord, may we not emphasize soul winning to the exclusion of holy living. May we not emphasize holy living to the exclusion of soul winning. May we recognize that they both, by your decree, are necessary if we'll have the right conscience toward you. So Lord, I pray tonight that in the context of this, this verse, Acts 24, 16, that you would help us to make our hearts right with you in this moment. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed tonight. And I wonder tonight if God isn't speaking to someone's heart about this matter of having a good conscience. And I wonder if you wouldn't take a moment just now and say, Brother Chapel, I've had, I think, a good testimony by the grace of God, but I've been a fruitless Christian. I've not seen the harvest. I've not seen in my life souls coming to the Savior. And I know I'm not the soul winner. I know it's the Holy Spirit, but I'm the tool that God wants to use. I wonder tonight if you could pastor in a city month after month after year after year, seeing little to no fruit, and really have a right conscience toward the people of that city. I wonder tonight if you could go by your neighbor day after day after day, never inviting them to church, and really have a right conscience about that.
I wonder tonight who'd say, Brother Chapel, God is speaking to my heart right now that I don't have a good conscience toward God and toward men like I should. Maybe it is in the area of separation and maybe it is in the area of holiness, but maybe it's in the area of soul winning tonight. And I wonder tonight who'd say, Brother Chapel, God spoke to me. I've got to repent of some sin, of a lack of soul winning. I've allowed some defilement to come. My heart's been a little bit seared towards the lost. And God spoke to me this day about that matter. Pray for me. Would you lift your hand tonight? If God's speaking to your hand, to your heart, would you lift your hand? God bless you all over the auditorium. I'm going to ask that you stand tonight with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to pray, and when I say amen, if your hand was lifted, I'm going to ask you to come. And I'm going to ask you to treat this with the seriousness that it is deserving of and simply say to the Lord, Lord, my heart and conscience is not right in this matter. And I ask you to forgive me and change me tonight. Father in heaven, I pray tonight that you would speak to every heart, that everyone whose hand was lifted would have a holy moment with thee. Make us soul conscious, Lord. Help us to go to the high place in our city and look to the lights at night and pray. Help us to drive down the streets and realize people need the Lord. Oh God, help us not to bask in what we know. And help us not to glory in the way we live if we are not living a lifestyle of soul winning. Father, help us to realize we cannot be right with you and our fellow man until we take this all the way to a verbal witness. And so bless those tonight who seek to be empowered and filled and used. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God has spoken to your heart. You come tonight. If God's speaking to your heart, I want to bear fruit, fruit that remains. I say tonight, Lord, that the purpose of a right testimony is not merely for the Christian brethren all around me, but it's so a lost world can see Jesus through me. That my right living combined with my right preaching and testifying together would be used of God to bring souls to the Savior. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Would you make it practical tonight? Would you think about carrying gospel tracts? Think about your soul winning time. Think about your lost friends and loved ones. These are praying here at the front. Let me have your attention as these are praying, if I may. Someone might say, how are we going to rebuild fundamentalism? I don't think it's going to be with lots of discussions and arguments. I'll tell you how it will be rebuilt. The same way it was built. One lost soul at a time. Reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May God bless you to that end.